What's this old man's erudiction? He's got the devil on his back trying to ride him into the grave before his time. Out, Zepika! Yes. Out, Beezlebub! Yes. How old are you? Seven, but I look a lot older. God bless you. He's seven. <laughs> now, this is a man with optimism in his heart. All right. Belief in his soul. Yes. We are all children in the eyes of God. Yes. We are going to get you out of that chair. And we going to have you walk. In the name of God's glory, rise up. Come on. Come on. Come on, with Come on. Now, God is going to see you the rest of the way. He's going to see this little old man walk without the use of a crutch or a cane. He's going to see that you walk from faith and divine inspiration alone. All right. Now, walk. Come on. Rise up, old man. Rise up like Lazarus. I said, rise up! Yes. Come on. Say hallelujah. Walk. Walk on. Yes. <laughs> Now, when I look back on it, it was miraculous. But, you know the saying, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Go in the highest! Welcome to episode 58 of the Monday Morning Critic. Today we have a very special guest. He is actor Lance Nichols. Lance, so happy to be talking to you today. Hey, thank you for having me on the show, man. I really appreciate it. So, Lance, you're... you're before we get into acting, I, I I hear that you're a big New Orleans Saints fan. Have I have I heard correctly? Who that baby? Who that? <laughs> yeah. Hey, look, man. You know when uh, when you when you were born and if, if you're born and raised in New Orleans, you you know just by by passage by birthright, man. You're you're a black and gold fan, and even through the lean years with the with the bags over our heads and the ain'ts and everything, you you ride and die with the Saints. And of course, when we won the Super Bowl in 2009, it was like uh, the celebration was like Mardi Gras on steroids. Yeah, man, it was <laughs> it was unbelievable. Yeah, and I feel like it's a it's a relationship that no other team and fans have in football. It's so unique. I almost feel like it's a deeper bond than just you know team and fan. It it is, and it got even stronger and deeper post Katrina, because I felt like at the time uh, the city needed something to feel good about. You know, we we were flatlining, man, for a long for a long time after Katrina. Right, and when the team came along and they won the Super Bowl, it wasn't just a football win. It was much deeper and stronger than that. It, it just uplifted everybody it uplifted the whole city and we needed that we needed that at that time and so that's why the relationship between the players and the fans is just so close so close man you know we got um 
this young kid, uh, Alvin Kamara, who I'm sure you probably have heard about, Ooh, who won he the uh, NFL Rookie of the Year, man. Yeah. Well, just to show you, he and uh, Marshawn Lattimore, who won Defensive Rookie of the Year, they were recently in a Mardi Gras parade. And at some point, they got off the float and started mingling with the crowd. Because that's how that's just how it is here, man. Everybody feels like your family. So, yeah, it is a special relationship. Very special. So along those same lines, I have to ask you, um, how have the Saints fans embraced Marcus Williams? Do they view it as just, hey, you know, crap happens, you know, not a big deal. How You know, it was an unfortunate play. Um, what's your take on that? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what exactly what happened. A couple of days after that, that game in Minnesota, there was a huge billboard that went up right outside the Superdome that said, Marcus, we love you. And it was signed by the New Orleans Saints fans. Wow. So that's how people felt about that, man. I mean, yeah, it broke our hearts. It was devastating. But keep in mind, that young man's interception got us back into the game. Right. And he, he throughout the year, man, he made very, very, you know, he made great plays. And on that play, he misjudged. And I understood what happened. Probably during that timeout, Dennis Allen, all the coaches probably told guys, whatever you do, we cannot afford to get an interference call. Because if we get an interference call and it becomes a spot foul, more than likely they'll come out and, you know, and kick a field goal and win the game. And he just misjudged. I think when he went to make that move, he realized that if he had hit him before the ball got there, it would have been a spot foul, pass interference right there at that spot. And more than likely their kicker would have made the field goal. So, Hey man, you know, things happen. We move on. Uh, I think if anything, it will inspire him and inspire our team to even just come with much more force next season. Yeah. And he had a fantastic year uh, up until that point, you know, it's just a mistake. And, the last thing I wanted to ask you that Saints related is the Drew Brees contract. Are you concerned about that? Are you are you worried? Uh, I'm not concerned. I mean, I think they'll work out the numbers. It, you know, it's a matter of making it fit under the salary cap. Uh, I was reading an article the other day that uh, they were uh, th- this particular reporter was offering some possible options to make it work, but I think it will. I mean, Drew's 39; he'll be 40 in January of next year. And I know he wants to stay and I know the saints want him to stay. So, um, I'm not concerned about it working out. It will. I just don't know how right now, you know, and, and I'm up, I live in new England and, and I had predicted a saints Patriots super bowl. We have very similar teams in, in the sense that we have quarterbacks that are aging and people are scratching their heads as to, as to how these guys can go on being as good as they are. Uh, you know, at their quote-unquote advanced age, you know, so. Well, can you imagine what the ratings would have been for a for a Brady versus Brady oh. Super Bowl? Oh, my God, oh. the NFL men probably, they, they would have loved that. I mean, everybody was looking forward to that. Breeze versus Brady, uh, Belichick versus Peyton. And there were just so many different storylines you could have gone with that game, man. Yeah, I really love the Saints, and you know I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Alan Kamara, and then you have Ingram and Michael Thomas. I mean, this team's going to be back again next year, no question. Yeah, you know we are, and if we can, whoever we can find as the heir accessor to Drew, I mean, except for like Drew and a couple other guys, we have a very young team. Yep, a very young team. Yep, and if we can get an heir accessor to Drew, <clears throat> who's good, we can be. Man, we can we can be in the mix for a number of years. 
Yeah, no question. And, you know, I don't want this to be too much about the Saints because I, I do want to talk about your life. So let me ask you. So you spent, you're born in New Orleans. You go to the University of New Orleans. And at one point, you you think to yourself, you know, I think I want to be a doctor. And I know you change your mind relatively quickly. How good of a doctor do you think you could have been if you went down that road? Um. I think I could have been good. I, I'm going to be honest with you. What happened to me, man, is, you know, the first year you're taking general degree requirements. And I was taking stuff at that time that I thought would be beneficial to me to being a doctor. Mm. And one one of the courses was Latin. And I took a chemistry class. and it, and But I also took a drama 1000 class my first year. Mm. So at the end of my freshman season, I took a look at my transcripts and I said, I may need to rethink this doctor thing because uh, my grades did not reflect me <laughs> wanting to, to do well in the medical field. And then I started doing the math in my head. I say, OK, if I major in pre-med, that's four years of that's four years of school, regular school, four years of med school, two years of intern. Oof. I'm like, I'm up to like almost 12 years now before I start making any money. I'm like, no. So I switched majors going into my sophomore year from pre-med to drama communication. And then in one semester, my GPA went from like a 2.3 to like a 3.8. And I said, well, you know, if anything else, I can play a doctor. And I've played many, many doctors, man. Many, many doctors. So it all worked out fine. I, I have no regrets about it. Yeah, you you certainly made the right choice. Uh, your your body of work is, is is amazing to say the least. But there's one thing you know I'm reading about your life. So you, you go into graduate study. So I get confused a little bit, Lance. What happens that you start to you know you kind of I don't want to say give up your dream. And if I mis mis misunderstood this, please correct me. To loading you know UPS trucks, and it wasn't a long time you were doing this. But how does that happen? How do you go from your dream of being an actor to loading UPS trucks. Help me fill that gap, that timeline. Well, what happened was I graduated from UNO in 77, and I realized when I graduated, if I'm going to really go into acting, I'm probably going to have to make a move, either to L.A. or to New York. Well, I had a sister who had been living in Los Angeles since 59, and I knew that if I made the move out there, I could at least have a place to stay with her temporarily. Mm. So I made a decision that within the year I was going to move to Los Angeles. Well, in the meantime, I, I figured I need to get a job here. And I started working at UPS uh, from five in the morning to nine in the morning, Monday through Friday. And then within a month after having that job, I took a second job uh, in the evening working as an assistant stage manager at uh, a dinner playhouse here uh, mm. back in the day. So I had two jobs, man. I worked 5 to 9, 5 a.m. to 9 a.m., would come home, get some sleep, and then I had to be at my evening job at the dinner theater for, I think, like 6 in the afternoon. And then I would be done by 10 o'clock there, come home, go to sleep, get back up, go to UPS in the morning. So, so yeah, so how, how big of a part, like who up to that point in your life, Lance, is... So I, I would love to believe, and I believe that you love acting at that point. Is there a person that is responsible for that? Is there a mentor that you had that you're like, that you would not be where you are without this person? Well, I actually have two people. 
One was a gentleman named Ty Tracy, who was the director of North Theater. North stands for New Orleans Recreation Department. And it's a nonprofit theater organization here. Back in the day, back in the 70s, uh, each summer, they would have a teenage musical workshop where they would do a Broadway show and they would cast it with all teens. So in the summer of 1972, I was 16 going on 17, they did a play called Hallelujah Baby, which had just been on Broadway the year before with Robert Hooks and Leslie Uggams. Uh, I went down to audition for the uh, the play and I got the lead role. And this was Nord's first uh, primarily, uh, predominantly African-American cast. With all all teenagers from the ages of I think the youngest teen was maybe 13. And then we had like a couple of adults. But most of us were between like, say, 15 and 18 years old in that production. And uh, as, as they say, man, I got bit by the bug during that play. I went back the next summer <clears throat> because they did Low Abner. And I auditioned for that and got cast as General Bull Moose. I went back the next summer after that. They did a uh, production called Boys from Syracuse, and I got cast in the lead in that. And so Ty Tracy would be number one. And then number two would be my uh, speech coach in high school, uh, Harvey Brooks. Mm -hmm. uh, he was head of the speech team in my senior year in high school, and, and he was very instrumental in my development as an actor. So those would be the, those would be the two people that, uh, if you ask me, you know, who started this whole thing for you? It, it would have to be those two gentlemen there. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's amazing how many times I ask that question and the answers I get. It, it, and it, I get so surprised, Lance, how many times people go back to high school to find that inspiration. And I love hearing that. It's, it's unbelievable when I hear that. Well, you know, that's usually where it is, man, for a lot of people. Sometimes it doesn't necessarily come from, you know, a relative or someone at home. Right. Sometimes it comes from a teacher or, you know, something like that. And in my case, it was a, the Ty Tracy, uh, head of North Theater, and and Harvey Brooks, who was my speech teacher in high school. So, you know, I want to go out of order here. One of your roles that I find to be in my top five movies of all time, and, and I cannot tell you how much I love this movie, and I cannot tell tell you how much I love your role as the preacher in this movie, and that is... The Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons. And Lance, let me tell you this. You have no idea how many times, the, the people that I'm close to, how many times we say to each other, God bless you. He's seven. We go back and forth. We just, <laughs> I can't, Lance, I cannot tell you. I don't know. Talk about that role. It is such an impactful role. And I, it's one of my favorite roles in, in recent memory. I have to say that. Well, it's funny because um, <clears throat> that movie you know, they, they shot that movie here in New Orleans and I never will forget they were having auditions the um they were having auditions the summer of two thousand and five. No no two thousand and six, right. <clears throat> because we had uh I had taken my family back to LA because we evacuated for Katrina in two thousand and five and we all went back to Los Angeles because I know I could get work there. So it just so happens I came back to New Orleans the summer of 06 because um, 
was a program that was set up called, the state had set up a, a program called the Road Home. And the Road Home was set up as a program to provide financial assistance to people who wanted to come back to New Orleans to rebuild their homes. And then they got all their funding from the federal government. So they, they, they selected me to be the on-camera spokesperson. So they, they flew me back here in the summer of 06 to shoot a commercial for the Road Home program. And while I was here, I got an audition request to go in and read for this movie called The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. <clears throat> the Los Angeles casting director, Lorraine Mayfield, had come here and she was holding audition sessions. And I went in and um, I read for her. And when I finished, she just kind of stood there and looked at me and she looked at my headshot and she flipped over and looked at my resume and she flipped back over and looked at my headshot and she flipped back over and looked at my resume. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, did I suck that bad? Because she's not saying anything. <laughs> so finally, after about a minute, she looked at me and she said, you spent some time in L.A., didn't you? I said, actually, I lived in L.A. 24 years. She said, yeah. She said, how come I never met you? And I said, I don't know. I said, but the good thing is, you know me now. And she kind of laughed and said, yeah. And so she thanked me for coming in. So a couple of days later, I flew back to uh, to L.A. because we hadn't officially moved back to New Orleans post-Katrina yet. And a few days after I came back, <clears throat> my agent in New Orleans called me and said, hey, uh, you have a call back to meet the director on Benjamin Button wow. here in New Orleans. I said, well, I'm in New Orleans. I mean, I'm in L.A. right now. I said, is it possible I could meet? the director out here. She said, well, let me see what I can do. So what they did is they set up for me to go to a table read in Los Angeles. And at the table read was David Fincher, the director, the producers, uh, Tilda Swinton, uh, Brad Pitt, uh, Taraji Henson, all the main actors were there. And then they had brought in a couple of local LA actors to read the smaller roles. And then they had me and we sat around this big table and we read the whole script. And when we finished reading the script, they had lunch for us at the studio in the commissary. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm in the commissary and I'm talking to different people and I go up to Brad Pitt and I introduce myself and I say, hey, Brad, I said, uh, I'm Lance Nichols. I'm from New Orleans. I said, I'm just out here because of Katrina. I said, I want to thank you and uh, Angelina for, you know, really trying to assist in getting New Orleans natives to come back home and rebuild. And he looked at me and he said, oh, no, man. He said, uh, look, we, you know, we're happy to do that. He said, and, and, and I'm glad you're going to be joining you, You're going to be joining us on this project. And so I kept the poker face and I'm thinking on the inside, I think he just told me I'm going to be in this movie. So <laughs> I kept the poker face and I said, thank you. When I got back to the house, I called my agent and I told her what Brad said. She said, well, we don't have an official offer yet, but Let's keep our fingers crossed. And then the very next week, she called me up and said, they want to offer you the role. And that's how I got the role. Now, listen to this. They only wanted to pay me scale, which was the minimum that they're required by SAG to pay an actor. Right. And I, I was going to turn it down. And I talked to my wife about it. And she says, no. She says, look. She says, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. You know, you, you've been doing this for 30 years and you feel like you should be paid more than that. She said, but I need you to think about the larger picture. And I said, well, what's the larger picture? She said, you're going to be in a major film with major stars. 
Because at that point, it, it, you couldn't get any bigger than Brad Pitt. No. She said, you're going to be working with an A-list director and David Fincher. She said, so I think you need to just kind of let put your ego aside and you need to accept this part. So I took a day or two and I thought about it. And uh, I called my agent and said, okay, yeah, I'll do it. And that working on that film was one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had. David Fincher, hands down, is the best film director I've ever worked with. Hmm. And that movie opened up so many doors because that scene, the scene where I heal him, Hmm. that scene was in every trailer that they put out promoting that film. Whether whether that was in the movie theaters, whether that was on TV, when when Brad Pitt was making the PR rounds promoting that film, that's the scene that they showed. <laughs> and I got to tell you, it's it's unbelievable because it's just it's a comedic scene, and it goes from being a funny scene to a very tragic scene. But it does, <laughs> you know, it's it's the preacher. You generally you you really genuinely believe that that this elderly gentleman. Is, is is youthful at heart and thinks he's seven. <laughs> yes. And, you know, there's so much I wanted to ask you. And before I kind of get to that, I read where this movie was, Baltimore was being considered, and I'm so happy they stuck with a New Orleans-rooted movie because it works so much better. It does. I mean, you know, it's like New Orleans is almost like a, another character in the piece, man. And that it would have been a different movie if it had been shot anywhere else. And so I'm glad they came here. They employed a lot of people. Uh, as I said, that role turned out to be a career changer for me. It took that role in that film uh, went from like when my agent at the time would go to pitch me the casting directors before that movie came out. It was like, now, now, who is he? What has he done? But when that movie came out, all they had to say was he's the preacher in Benjamin Button and then casting people go, oh, that guy. Yeah, he's wonderful. So I found it amusing that after 30 years of being in this business, all it took was one scene, not even a, you know, not even a big role, but a memorable scene to, to, to you know, to, to take my career from one to ten. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 a well it's a well deserved opportunity for sure. You know, you talked about you know your wife telling you to take the role. What did she think of it when she saw it? When she saw it unfold on the big screen, she loved it, and she said, "She said now you understand why." Because mm. you know she was with me on the whole journey, man. You know when when they when the trailers start coming out, and we were like seeing the trailers on TV, and and you like on. Uh, entertainment tonight that was the scene they showed and she just looked at me and said what did i tell you and i said yeah you were right you know and if i had not listened that would have been a whole different story but i'm glad that i did and it was it was a great experience and as a result of meeting david fincher on benjamin button rewind to like eight years later he brings me on to house of the cards Mm -hmm. where he is now executive producer of the show had I not met him, Benjamin Button, I would not have had that relationship with him. Yeah, it's funny how those things, you know, unfold, Lance. Um, you know, when you play that role, um, is it is it a tough role to play? I mean, I've heard you in an interview call it a, a small role. I, I don't agree with that. I think it's a huge role. I, I, I'm a big believer in people are born to play the parts they're in. There was no other person on this earth that could play that preacher like you played that preacher. And you were born to play that part. 
<laughs> well, thank you. Um, when I got cast in the role, um, there was uh, it, there was a movie I did go take a look at, not to try to duplicate what uh, what uh, what that guy did, because this guy's a brilliant actor. But there was a film with Robert Duvall. Oh my God, what's the name of the movie where the he Apostle? played a, the Apostle? Yes, yes. Yeah. Because I wanted to. I wanted to have my minister have a little bit of that flavor, that kind of Bible thumping kind of preacher. And so I did go look at a little bit of the apostle uh, just to sort of get a feel for the, the, the way I wanted to approach it. But David Fincher gave me a lot of leeway in that scene. Uh, I remember the first night I was on set and one of their production assistants brought me to set and introduced me to him. And I said, I want to ask you something. I said, I want to make sure you and I are on the same page. I said, I don't look at this character as being, you know, a con artist. I really believe that this man feels he can heal people. And he Mm -hmm. said, you're absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And so I was glad that we were on the same page because if the guy's a con artist, that's a completely different performance. I agree completely, completely. And, you know, this is this is a stupid question to ask you is is. And I know they shore it up afterwards, but is it is Brad Pitt in that scene with you, or is it? How does that no? That's work? that's actually a little person sitting in the chair, a little person, right? And what they did is they CGI Brad's face on there in post. I gotcha. Okay, I gotcha. Okay, and and I have to ask you the end of 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 the Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons. Do they? That's obviously aimed at Hurricane Katrina, right? The the way the end. Yes, of, yes, absolutely, okay. absolutely. With the news footage and everything, absolutely it is. Yeah, and, and you know, I just have to ask you, why is this movie so special? Why do people like? There's parts, you know, where Brad Pitt goes about, you know, he says, "You're never too old to start over again," and you know, the the painfulness of of growing, the way you watch him age. There's so many parts to this movie where you probably need four or five boxes of Kleenex just to get through it. Why is it? Why does it work, Lance? Why is this movie so special? I think it's special because um, it deals with an issue that each of us face, and that's our own mortality. And I think that if you probably set anyone down and ask them if you could have one wish in life, what would it be? And I, I would think most people would say that I that that I don't age, that I could just, you know, or either go back to my youth. We always long to want to go back to a time when our health was the best, when we were carefree. We, you know, we, we really didn't have any responsibilities to to anybody else except maybe ourselves. And so I think I think it's natural that we long for our youth. And what our youth brought us, it brought us vitality and health and, you know, and, and, I, and I think that's what it is. I think that's what the attraction is to, to this film. It, it has a very sort of nostalgic feel to it. And I think it's that longing for our youth that makes it appealing to people. Yeah, and the cast is so beautiful. You already mes- you already mentioned uh, Tazari Henson. There's you know Marshala Ali, Ted Manson, who's been hit by lightning ten to- or seven times. Right, it's, right, right. It is it is such a beautifully casted movie. Um, and, and I think you know obviously there's you and there's Brad and, and all these wonderful actors, but there's also a lot of actors that are now you know kind of hitting their prime. You know some of the some of the ones we've talked about earlier. Yeah, I mean Taraji. That was really that movie was Taraji's big break because yep. shortly after that, 
is when you started to hear about her. And of course, now she's, uh, you know, she's big time now, man. And of course, my, my, Mahershala, too. Yep. Because you didn't really know who Mahershala was. And now everybody knows who Mahershala is. Yeah, they're they're both scary good. You know, they're so excellent. You know, when I see them on screen, it's just you know you're going to get something special, and and that's the same thing with you. You know, when I see you're going to get a great performance. Um, any final thoughts before we move on? I mean, it, it, you must just adore. Do you watch this movie often? Do you? I mean, is it a movie if it's on, you'll watch it or? How, how does well, I have I have the DVD, so if I really get nostalgic, I'll pop it in and watch it. But um, that particular scene. I still keep on my demo reel, even though it's like 12 years old, because it's so memorable. And, you know, it's a film that I'm very proud to have been a part of. It's a film that I felt got robbed at the Academy Awards. Ugh, big time. You know, 13 nominations and it only wins two for technical stuff. I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a film that I, I always hang my hat on and said I'm very proud to have been a part of it. Yeah, and, and, and I'm gonna flatter you one more time. I just your performance is amazing, and we I must quote that movie your your spot in particular <laughs> at least once a week. I don't know. I just and, and this movie came out what ten years ago, and I'm still quoting. Uh, it. Yeah, I think it came out in 07. Yeah. It was 07 or 08, one of the two. I think it came out in 08. Yes. So, so yeah. So certainly, Lance, that's one of these movies that's gonna live on in history, and people are gonna talk about this long after i wanted to veer outside your filmography for one second speaking of history how about black panther making history this weekend um i'm going to talk about this in, in a later podcast but i wanted to get as an actor as an african-american actor i wanted to get your thought on this you know they've shattered that myth that people some people believe that you know movies rooted in black culture cannot become blockbusters well I have 387 million reasons why that's wrong. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, it's funny you should mention that because I just posted on my Facebook page yesterday. Uh, there was an article predicting that, you know, Black Panther was set to break box office records. And I posted the article and in the title of it, I said, I guess this shatters the false narrative that uh, that we can't carry a picture. Mm. Uh, because there is that false narrative that, you know, if, if it's a cast of predominantly African-American uh, characters or if an African-American has the lead in it uh, and it's not the, you know, not the buddy, because uh, in most of the movies where, you know, that have been successful, we're always the buddy to the white guy mm. in the film. But but this picture just shatters that myth, that false narrative. And I love it, man. In fact, uh I was trying to figure out what day to day my wife and I could go see it. Um, I think it's going to be huge. It hasn't even been uh, released to like one of the largest markets, which is the uh, Asian market. Mm. And once it re once it's released there, who knows where to go? So I, I I love it, man. It's just so nice to see some strong positive images of African American uh, characters. Both men and women. It's 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 such a a change up from what we are accustomed to seeing. Where either um, and honestly, I'm gonna say this, and some people may get upset about it, but I really was kind of getting tired of the, the slave narrative, man. Mm. And, yeah, I mean those 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 stories are great, but we have other stories. We have many more stories that you know we can tell. And so I love seeing us in a different narrative you know, as superheroes and, and men and women of courage and valor. 
I think it's great. Yeah, and, and I, you know, I read that in the New York Times. I want to say it was a few days ago. Maybe it was on the release date. And the New York Times is really great article about you know kind of what you had posted on Facebook and, and what I just said. And you know, the great thing is now, Lance, is that I feel like when kids go see a movie like that, they and maybe I'm just being naive here i think they see this superhero black panther and they just love him for being a superhero i think i think we're getting i hope maybe it's wishful thinking we're getting better as a society in that way they they that 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 it doesn't matter the gender of the superhero or the color they just see a a a potential role model up on the screen well i think I think there's two answers to that question. I think for African-American kids, they see themselves. Yes. And they see, I, I can be that. So that's important that we as African-Americans see ourselves in a positive light because the media in general is very quick to paint us in a very negative way. Mm. Um, for example, I'll, I'll give you just one example. When this whole Black Lives Matter movement happened and, you know, uh, and then you had... Uh, you had some confrontations up in, 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 in different cities where, unfortunately, in some cases, it turned into riots. The people that rioted were portrayed as thugs. But just recently, in the city of Philadelphia, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, hmm. you had cars burn. You had stores, or window, their windows were shattered, uh, cars overturned. Well... Those people who were predominantly white were presented as zealous, happy fans. Mm. Yeah, it's funny how that it's funny how that stereotype works. I, I never even thought of that. That is such a great point, Lance. I've never even thought of that perspective, and that's that's dead on. You're so right with that. Um, I mean, so what, what? Why is one group a bunch of thugs and the other group a bunch of overzealous, happy fans? Yeah, and, and I think we both know the answer to that, you know, and it's... Um, of course we do. Yeah, yeah, and, and some people will, will never escape that narrow-mindedness, um, but you're right, that's such a great point, Lance, I can't I can't say that enough. Um, do you think as a society... But the, good th- the, the, the good th- the, but the good thing about the Black Panther is that I'm, I'm, I'm hearing stories and reading stories about white kids, Latino kids, Asian kids who are all going to see the movie dressed up as the Black Panther, man. I think that's freaking awesome. Yes, I completely agree. I, I completely, and that was kind of what I was trying to ask before, and you brought, you brought up the great point that, yeah, young African-American can see themselves, whereas now I think, yeah, kids, wait, wait till Halloween rolls around, Lance. You're, you're going to see a bunch oh, of kids, regardless of color. Absolutely. And yeah, we're going to see a bunch of Black Panther costumes, and it's, but that's the way things, and, and I, I don't want to sound, you know, utopious here, but that's the way things should be. Like, you know, that's the I way, agree. You know, that's the blueprint, but not to get too far off or, or too heavy here, but that's some great points. You've been in some phenomenal things, and I'm not going to be here for 17 hours and read off your whole filmography, <laughs> but, but um, you've been in some funny stuff, like you've been in the campaign, so uh, talk about the th- Into the Badlands. I didn't, You know, I love that show. I didn't even know that was you. I had to go back. I'm like, what? That's him? And it's one of those things where you were so just eclectic and good in it, I had to do a double take on that. I love that show. And uh, they brought my character back for season three. No kidding. Yes. So my character will be coming back for season three. In fact, I was in Ireland uh, October, uh, end of October, all of November and half of December. I was in Ireland shooting. 
and it was an incredible experience. You know, I, I, I wondered if my character would ever come back because the way season one ends with, you know, me abducting Sonny, the lead actor. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I remember when season two came around, because I read a lot of the fan blogs, people were like, oh, my God, where did, you know, where did the River King take Sonny? What's going on? And I was told that I was going to come back season two. And I didn't. So uh, when season three rolled around, uh, I, I got the email from my agent that, hey, they were bringing my character back for season three to sort of uh, tie up some loose ends. And so they brought me back and I'm looking forward to season three. I have a slightly different look in season three I love than you. I did in season one. Oh, I loved you. But nobody. Oh, nobody re- nobody recognized me from season one, man. Nobody. People, <laughs> what you just said, people said, wait a minute, that was you? I'm like, yeah, that was me. But that's but that's a testament to your ability. That's a good thing. Like I, I, I didn't look at it and say, Oh, you know, boy, that was it was a it was a great performance. I just like idiotically didn't realize that that's Lance. So it's that that's a yeah. testament to how good you are, man. And you know, that show, if you just t- turn the volume off and watched it. It's maybe the most beautifully shot show. Oh, it's gorgeous. Oh. And, you know, it, it, and it's a show that even that particular uh, subject matter is not my genre. I'm not really into that martial arts, but it's done so well. Mm. It's like the characters are so richly developed. It's shot well, and the fight scenes are insane. Oh, they're top notch. And, you know, just, just going through all of your filmography, my goodness, Bad Lieutenant, such an underrated movie. Treme, you mentioned earlier, ER, K-Pax, fantastic movie. I, Cheers. Um, my goodness, when I, and I didn't even know this, when I saw Give Me a Break, I mean, I love Nell Carter. <laughs> oh, my goodness, man. I, and I'm not even trying to be funny. I just love, I, that was one of my favorite shows growing up. And um, so when you look back at your unbelievable accomplishments, is there, few that stick out or do you just look back with pride in a general sense like how does that work for you lance how do you look back at and still ahead because you you're still kicking ass as we as we speak but when you look back how do you how do you reflect on all those wonderful things you've done well i would have to say yes to both questions i do look back with pride um and and also not just pride man but thankfulness because this is a very difficult business uh, that I'm in mm. and there are people who spend 20, 30, 40 years and, and never uh, get to have the amount of success that I've had. And so I never take it for granted that, uh, you know, that I, I'm doing what I, what I did as a kid playing make believe, but I'm just getting paid to do it this time, man. And so it's fun. Uh, I feel I do have a responsibility to, to the public, to my fans, I always try to do work that will uh, either inspire me or inspire people, as well as entertain. Which is why um, I would say, within the past six or seven years, I've also gotten my foot into the faith-based film market mm-hmm. because I feel like that's a way that I can spread the word about my life and what God has meant to me. Uh, and still entertain people at the same time. Um, and so uh, one of the one of the films that I'm most proud of, outside of Benjamin Button, of course, is a movie that came out a couple of years ago called Woodlawn. 
Mm. And it was um, directed by the Irwin brothers, Andrew and John Irwin out of Birmingham. And these are two young men. Uh, they're faith-based film directors, but they're great storytellers. And this was a, the true story. Uh, Woodlawn was a true story of a young man who went to Woodlawn High School in the 70s, African-American kid who was a star football player there. And this was during a time when they started to integrate the schools there and they had a lot of turmoil uh sometimes riots and stuff this is his story tony nathan right and tony went on tony tony went on to play for bear bryant at the university of alabama and then he went on to play uh for the miami dolphins they used to call him touchdown tony and it was his story that we did and i got a chance to work with john voigt who is just a phenomenal actor as well as a very gracious man um, it was a great experience, man. So film wise, I would say Woodlawn and, uh, Benjamin Button were at the top of the game. And then for television, it would have to be Treme mm. because it's, it's the story of my home. It's the story, you know, it's, it's New Orleans story. And I spent four seasons on it. And of course that made it personal for me because it, it is our story. It was the, the city story. And then uh, House of Cards, enjoyed being on that. I did two episodes of House of Cards, got a chance to work with Kevin Spacey. And then uh, Into the Badlands, because that's still current. And that's such a different out in left field character for me to play that people are not accustomed to seeing me to play. And so, you know, I'm having fun, man. I'm a character actor, so I'm, I'm really having a chance to just sort of just disappear into my characters now. Yeah, and I got to tell you, I have seen Woodlawn. I'm looking at the cast here. I've had Brett Rice, who was in the movie on the show. Uh, It's a fantastic movie. I can't recommend that enough to people who are listening. Woodlawn is really good. I mean, it's one of these movies that flies under the radar a little bit, but once you watch it, you're blown away. That's true. And everybody who said it, who watched it, said, man, I can't believe this film didn't do as well as it should have because it's such a well-made film and it it really is a well-made film um and that was actually my third film working with the Irwin brothers i'd done a movie with them two years before woodlawn called mom's night out with Mm -hmm. patricia heaton who used to play on everybody loves raymond and then uh three years before that i did my first movie with the Irwin brothers uh called october baby with john schneider and Jasmine Guy, and that's how I met those guys. And they've got a great movie coming out called I Can Only Imagine. I think it's being released sometime in March. I'm not in that one, but th- those guys are great storytellers. They really are. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you, when it comes to a genre like comedy or sci-fi or drama, action, horror, is there one that's a little more difficult, Lance, than the rest of me? I know you're you're obviously a, you're a pros pro actor. Is there a, a genre that... Not that you have trouble with, but that's a little more difficult than the rest. I would probably say sci-fi because a lot of times you're dealing with uh, inanimate objects like aliens that don't really exist while you're shooting. And you've got to try to, you know, play a scene to something that's not there at all. And then hopefully, hopefully in post-productions, when they put in the, the alien, it matches with your reaction. So that probably would be the most challenging thing for me. And, and, and I have a question that's outside my notes that I wanted to ask you. So obviously, being in SAG after you, you have a, a vote for the Academy. Is that how that works? They show, they send you the screeners and you vote. How does that work, Lance? Am I, am yes. I 
Yeah, you 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 get you get screeners. Uh, I've gotten oh god in the past three weeks I probably have gotten like twenty five screeners, of which maybe I've only seen a third. Mm. Uh, but you get screeners and then you get to go online and cast who you would like to to vote for. So yeah, yeah that's I, how. I, and I, and I don't understand how people like like you mentioned Ben Buttons earlier. Thirteen nominations, two awards, which was so un, you know. So unfair. And, you know, this year I was looking at the three billboards. I watched that movie, and it was okay. It was good. But people are talking about it like it's Casablanca. And I, and I don't understand. Like, a movie like Wind River about Native Americans, very serious, fantastic movie, was left out because of who released the movie at the time. It was Harvey Weinstein. But it's amazing who people vote for for Best Movie Lance. And I know we all have our own, you know, tastes and so forth. But, you know, I just... That's the one part I never understand, how... Some people say, "Okay, that's best movie," and it's like, really? Um, I don't know. That's just yeah. It it, it makes me scratch my head too because there've been movies, not just this year, but there've been movies in the past that <clears throat> people have raved about or critics have raved about, and I've gone to see it and I go, "Did I miss something?" And then there've been movies that I felt were sleepers that were just brilliant that got very little play. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's uh, because it is a personal opinion. And, and and a lot of times, man, it's it's um, it's political. And I don't, by politics, I don't mean you know left or right or right. Democrat or Republican. But sometimes it's just pure politics. Sometimes the, the studio that has the most money to put out the most PR, you know, you, as they say, you keep telling people the same thing for a while, they start to believe it. I'm not one of those people, but uh, the general public is like that. They can be easily manipulated. If they see the same thing over and over again and they keep hearing that this is great and then they buy into it. Yeah. And then you have another you'll have another movie that doesn't have that kind of, you know, uh, cash to really kind of promote their film. That film, not many people see it, you know, like, for example, I saw War Room. War Room was a good movie, Mm. but I didn't think War Room was in the same league as Woodlawn. I thought Woodlawn was a better movie all all the way around, story-wise, I thought cinematography-wise, performance-wise. But War Room killed it at the box office, while Woodlawn struggled. Mm. So go figure. Yeah. You you know, you you talked earlier about, and I meant to ask you this, faith-based movies, and and, and my parents are very religious. I'm kind of lost in the middle of nowhere, I suppose, if that's a way of phrasing it. But, you know, when you make faith-based movies, and and I know Mel Gibson... um, he, he's made The Passion of the Christ, which is not really what you're talking about. But what are your thoughts about a movie like Passion of the Christ? He's coming back with a second one that talks about the resurrection and so forth. Um, what are your, what, what's your feel on, on Passion of the Christ and movies like that? And what is the big draw for you? I, I, I wouldn't say I'm – see, religion is man-made, man. So I don't, I don't go that route. I, okay. I, I do believe in God. I do believe that uh, there's someone much – and a higher authority than me who's guiding my life for me as long as I'm obedient and listen to him. Um, but I think the faith-based films, number one, have gotten better. They used to be very painful to watch because the production, <laughs> I'm being honest. No, I the, production, the production values were, were, were not that good. Uh, they, they, the, the actors, I think, were just people that they knew. But once they became, and at the time, all the faith-based films were non-union. Once they decided to become union and become SAG, then they attracted a better quality of actors. The stories got better. 
the writing got better, the cinematography got better, everything got better. And so uh, the, you go see a faith-based film now, and if you didn't know it was a faith-based film just because of the subject matter, it looks visually, they look just as good as anything that you, that you see that's not faith-based now. Right. So, and I think also they figured out that if you're trying to get a message out to folks, the last thing you want to do is beat people overhead with a message. Right. And that's one thing I can say I really admire about the Irwin brothers. They realize that. They realize that, okay, uh, we know Christian people are going to come see this movie. That's not the people we're trying to reach. We're trying to reach the non-believers to give them a message, to have them come in to see the movie and hopefully change their lives. If we do that, and we, we, won't, we will not accomplish that by pounding them over the head with message, message, message. It doesn't work that way. It has, first of all, the movie has to be entertaining, it has to be engaging, and it has to be thought-provoking. And that's how you get people to come in and watch your film. And that's what I, that's a wonderful thing that I think they did with Woodlawn. Yeah, for sure. And, and would you consider a movie like um, um, The Case for Christ a, a uh, faith-based movie, or is that one that's maybe a little bit um, aimed at people who already believe? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I don't know if you've ever seen A Case for Christ, but... I, 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 yeah, I think, no, no, I, I haven't, but, but I think I know the people who did it, yeah. and I think that's aimed more for people who are believers. The Irwin brothers are more interested their name alone and with the movies that they turn out they're going to get the faith-based audience that's a guarantee right but that's not the audience that they're trying to get man they're trying to reach the other people and that's what i love about them they're trying to reach and they've told they've, they've been very candid about this said look our movies have to be good just because our movies you know are a testament for christ that's not good that's not going to get non-believers in to see it they have to be good films they have to be written well, they have to be acted well, they have to be shot well. And that's the bottom line. It has to be a good story first, and then you can lay in your message underneath, and people will watch it, man. I, I had as many non-Christian friends who saw what long, who thoroughly enjoyed it, because they enjoyed the story. Right. Yeah. I, 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 th I think Woodlawn is one of those movies that people need to kind of see if they haven't seen it yet, you know? I, I concur because uh, I think it's a movie that people are really surprised when they do see it. I've had several people tell me, man, I, you know, I went in, you know, I saw, I went to see it or, I, you know, I, I, I got it on pure flicks on the internet only because I knew you were in it. But I got to tell you, it was a really, really good film. I really enjoyed it. And I, I heard that so many times about that movie. Yeah, and I'm getting a feel of what you're saying. Like, like definitely the the movie about the about um, the story for Christ is definitely aimed more of uh, more of people who already believe. Whereas Woodlawn is just a great story that that doesn't. It's it just it's just a great story being told, and I think you can appreciate you can appreciate it no matter what your belief is. Exactly, yeah. and that's the audience that I think needs to be reached. If mm -hmm. if, if 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 us as as faith-based filmmakers are going to be, you know, have a product out there. That's the audience we're trying to reach because the people that support us, they're going to continue to support us, but that's not the people that we're trying to reach. If we're trying to convert for lack of a better word, people to, you know, to, 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 to have God in their life, you know, then 
those are the people that we have to appeal to, man. And we, we cannot appeal to them by beating them over the head. You're just going to turn them off. Yeah, well said. And, you know, one of the things I did want to ask you, uh, you've been so kind to give me almost an hour of your time. Um, do you still teach acting and coach, uh, you know, coach acting? Do you still do that stuff? Absolutely. Whenever I have a moment, man, um, we I usually offer workshops, group classes four times a year. And then weekly I private coach and I do it either live or I can do it virtually. I have several clients out of state that I coach now either via Skype or FaceTime. So, yeah, I coach, man. And, you know, people want to look, look me up. Uh, I'm on Facebook um, under Lanzardis Productions, L-A-N-Z-A-R-D-I-S Productions. Uh, they could join there. They can also find me on Twitter at Lance E. Nichols. And I'm also on Instagram under Lance E. Nichols. So I'm, I'm, I'm really working on trying to be more social media savvy, man. I, I understand and see the importance of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, just on your teaching, in, in regards to your teaching, you know, I would go in there like a sponge if I wanted to learn how to become a, you know, a better actor. Um, how many people do you see that get into acting for the wrong reasons in your classes? Do you see it a lot? Lance? Uh, I used to. Uh, not anymore. I think most of the people that are studying with me now are in it for the right reasons because they do have a passion and they have a love for it and they want to tell stories. Uh, occasionally you'll get a person who, you know, is in it because they want to be famous. And I always tell people, be careful what you what you ask for and what you wish for. Mm. Because sometimes the thing that you wish for, you're not prepared for it when it happens. You know, early on in my career, I wanted to be famous and have my name up in lights. And then I guess maybe about 15 years ago, that just changed for me. I just wanted to do good quality work, tell great stories. And if I could inspire people on some level, that's all I wanted. And and so that, you know, I think some of that is, has, that came about because of maturity. Uh, but I just have a different mindset on why I want to do what I do now. Uh, I don't care about fame, man. I really don't. Right. I, I love I love being able to go out in the street, be recognized, have people come up to you and say, hey, I really like your work. Can I take a picture? But not 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 stepping out my front door and having paparazzi all over the place, <laughs> snapping my picture. Yeah, I, I don't want that kind of life, man. No. I don't want that. No, I, I, I can absolutely see where you're coming from. Um. What's a common mistake you see a lot in your classes when you teach? What's a, you know, whether it's a, a, a technical mistake or a, or a, you know, any type of mistake. What do you, what's a common mistake you see? Um, I see two, uh, two huge mistakes. Uh, number one, actors not having a complete understanding of the text of the story, and number two, pre-planning moments in a scene. You never pre-plan a moment when you're having a conversation with a person because you never know where that conversation is going. Right. So you have to be in that conversation with that person moment to moment. It's the same way in acting. You never pre-plan a moment that your character's going to have because you have to be in that scene moment to moment. So those would be probably the two biggest glaring mistakes or errors or pitfalls I see uh, actors fall into. 
Uh, what question do you get a lot from your students? Is there a question that they, they get you with? Is there a question that you always hear no matter what? Um, I think the question probably is, do you think that, do you think I have what it takes to be successful? Mm. And then I'll turn that around and say, well, do you think you have what it takes? Yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what I think. What right. do you believe about yourself? Yeah. You know, yeah. you have to, in any, in any business, not just in acting, man, you have to believe that, you know, you can be successful, that you have something that's marketable that people want. And once you believe it, then you have to work at honing whatever that skill set is to, to make you be the best that you can be at it. But it all starts with you. And let me ask you one final question, Lance. Um, who impresses you as an actor? Well, it, see, it has changed. Right now, the guy who is my muse, and I was just talking to my wife about this the other day, is Gary Oldman. Mm. He's brilliant. Mm. And everything I've ever seen him in, he's been absolutely brilliant. And, and, and he's going to win the Academy Award this year for his performance as Winston Churchill. Yeah, Darkest Hour. He's yeah. unbelievable yep. in it. Uh, he, he looks just... I followed his career... I followed his career for about 20 years now, and if there's anyone that I emulate, I want to emulate my career after, it would be him. Earlier on in my career, up until maybe about 15, 15 years ago, because since that time, I feel like he's just kind of mailing stuff in and taking it easy. I mean, he's earned it. Right. But for the first 20 years of my career, it was Robert De Niro. Mm. Early on in his career, Taxi Driver, Raging Bull. Goodfellas, uh, Cape Fear. Um, I just felt like everything he did was gold. So those those are the two people that um, I really sort of. And of course, if if I had to pick a female, it would be uh, two people would be Meryl Streep, mm -hmm. who I think could read a phone book, and be, and Kate Blanchett, who I think is a younger Meryl Streep. Wow. Wow, that's that's high praise for sure. Um, so, you know, I guess, is there anything you'd like to promote, talk about? Is there anything you wanted to um, get out there? Um, there's a couple of things. I am working on, uh, well, three, three movies right now. One, I just started a project called Simplify, which is shooting here in New Orleans. And then the second one, which I'll be starting in about a week, is a little small film called Wellwood that is starring and being co-produced by Keisha. I think her name is Keisha Hughes. She's uh, one of the young ladies from Game of Thrones. I can't tell you who she plays on Game of Thrones because, honestly, I've never seen the show, but everybody else seems to know who she is. I have a lead role in that film. And that starts shooting in about uh, eight to ten days. And then I go to Mississippi to do a uh, small movie with a, a veteran character actress named uh, Marlon Mason. Uh, it's a two-character film, but it's a great little story. And then I'm co-producing, um, well, my wife and I co-produced our first TV pilot two years ago here. Very cool. A project called Shepherd. All the funding came from uh, Louisiana, the cast, the crew. Uh, I have the lead in it. So last year we start um, 
shopping uh, the pilot out to different film festivals. And one of the film festivals that it was accepted to is called ITV Fest, which is a big television festival in Vermont uh, each year. We went up to ITV Fest, uh, my wife and I and the other members of the creative team. Uh, they set up four screenings for us. We were a hundred different TV pilots that were accepted from about 3,000 that were submitted worldwide. Wow. To make a long story we won Best Drama, and I won Best Actor in a Drama. And because we won Best Drama, we are having a pitch meeting with HBO in Los Angeles on March 7th. Wow. I'm very proud of it because it's, it's a homegrown premium. If you, uh, if you will either text me or Facebook message me or email, I'll send you the, the trailer. Right. Because we, we, you know, we have a trailer that's out. Uh, I'm very proud of it because it all came from here. It's a passion project of, of ours. And it turned out exceptionally well. It, it, it really is. Um, uh, and it's the role that I've waited 40 years to get. Wow. Wow. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, Lance, I wish you continued success and, and love down the road, man. You're a good guy. Lance Nichols, I can't thank you enough for being on the show today. I want to add just add one thing before I get out of here. We do have a Facebook Shepherd page, so I'm going to encourage your uh, your listeners to go to Facebook to Shepherd. It should say Shepherd TV Movie. Mm-hmm. If you go on that page, you'll see some photos, and the trailer is actually on the Facebook page, and you can see for yourself. Very cool, and I, and I'll post it. You know, once you send it to me, I'll definitely post it too. I can we'll get that thing out there for sure, absolutely. And man, I can't thank you enough. I was I loved having you on today. Thank you. For what it's worth, it's never too late, or in, in my, my case, case, too early to be whoever you want to be. There's no time limit. Start whenever you want. You can change or stay the same. There are no rules to this thing. We can make the best or the worst of it. I hope you make the best of it. I hope you see things that startle you. I hope you feel things you never felt before. I hope you meet people with a different point of view. I hope you live a life you're proud of. And if you find that you're not, I hope you have the strength to start all over again. Some people were born to sit by a river. Some get struck by lightning. Some have an ear for music. Some are artists, some swim, some no buttons, some no Shakespeare, some are mothers, and some people dance. <laughs>